Hi, welcome to the Shop Notes podcast. I'm your host, Phil Huber. Today I'm joined by assistant editor, Logan Whitmer and designer, Dylan Baker. On today's episode, we're gonna be talking about the projects that we're working on in our home shops. Uh, we're also gonna be talking a little bit about the difference between our real shop and our dream shop, as well as some troubleshooting questions. So stick around now for this episode of the Shop Notes podcast. This episode of the Shop Notes podcast is brought to you by Woodsmith Magazine. Woodsmith Magazine has been the trusted source for all your woodworking information for over 40 years. From tips and techniques to furniture projects to shop projects, you'll find it all at Woodsmith Magazine. Subscribe today at woodsmith.com. Stick around now. I like it. That kind of rolled yeah. off your tongue. <laughs> yeah. So, Dylan, I think I'm going to start with you because you're a recent house purchaser and mm. a new shop setter upper i am so yes yeah, so we we briefly touched on the fact that i'm starting a little bit of renovation work uh, in my home where um, i figured the best place to start would be in the basement and work my way up so um, i ended up framing out around my basement stairs i live in a house that was built in 1915 um, it's a kind of a four square constru uh, craftsman construction. So um, I had some of my um, uh, floor supports in my house or joists are starting to sag a little bit. And there was definitely not sufficient structural uh, supports uh, put in place in the basement. There is a there's two rooms in my basement. It's the same floor uh, uh, floor print as the first as well as second floor. There's a couple um, floor jacks down there, but again, uh, it needed a little bit of support. And plus I'm trying to figure out how to kind of subdivide the basement a little bit to give myself a little bit of space to work on smaller projects. Um, you know, unfortunately I'm in a position where it's not realistic to be running power tools down there. I don't have the, the, the amps, um, nor do I really have the space or noise containment or dust collection and that sort of thing. Yeah. Um, but, uh, it, it's kind of a nice problem to have because it, it, I think having those challenges helps you develop uh, uh, develop a plan for the type of woodworking you want to be doing there versus with the type of woodworking you may be doing um, for a well for us it's for a job but you know maybe it's for a hobby um, you know but uh, you know a lot of the I think the power tool fix I can get at work. So I'd sure. like to kind of spend some of my time and focus my energy on some things that I probably wouldn't um, approach or do maybe at work. Although mm. doing this at home may translate into that in the future, which I'm sure that it more than likely will. So the challenge for me right now is just getting maybe a little bit of a workspace. So I uh, did a workbench for 250 and uh, I went ahead and did a couple different designs. I did a Rubo and then we settled on an English style workbench. So I'm doing uh, an even smaller version of probably a Rubeau bench. Oh, okay. um, but I've also modified the English workbench we did to kind of accommodate the space I have. So um, I wanna start doing maybe some carving. Um, I do have a lathe, so I might be doing some smaller lathe work. Um, I'd like to do probably some more sculptural things, okay. um, maybe some conceptually driven wood pieces. Um, I'm a big fan of Wendell Castle. Uh, is one of my favorite, one of my favorite furniture designers of the 20th century, and um, I'd be curious to try out one of those uh, stacked laminations that he did that he ended up, you know, very laboriously carving out of uh, you know giant laminations of of, of wood. So 
Um, again, just trying to think about the tools involved that I'll need for that that are not power tools, again, to kind of save on space and, again, what's going to be practical for having a, a home workshop. So um, beyond having the lathe and the little bench, um, I'll have a little bit of storage. I thought about having a 14-inch bandsaw down there. I don't know how crucial that will be. I'd probably end up doing a lot of the milling um, here at work. Um, um, but... Uh, Outside of that, um, again, just trying to conceptualize how I want the space, how it's going to work from a continuity standpoint and be um, economical and not get away with the, the home life stuff. So, yeah. But, because uh, I know part of the topic that, you know, we were discussing before we started recording was, you know, where does, what did you say before, Logan, where it was like, your what ideal you shop. Different? Yeah. What would you do different? Yeah. Yeah. And I've kind of got a blank slate. I mean, the only thing right. that I, the only contingency I have right now is the limited amount of space I have. But I think those are the, again, those are the type of challenges that really uh, drive you to uh, get creative and, and be clever about your, your layout for your shop. So, you know, not only will be there be less stuff, but the things that I have may be on a smaller scale as well too, just to, again, save on space. Cause yeah. I don't want to be one of those situations where you find yourself tripping over cords or smashing your elbow in the corner of a router table or, you know, whatever tool you may have. So, um, I, I, I'm realistic about my setup too. It probably will be one of those situations where tools, as they are used, will have to be brought out and then put back away and just can't be left out like we would have in our ideal shop that we could just walk into and start resawing or, you know, cutting sheets of plywood right away if we needed to. So, but that's okay. I mean, again, I think it's, it'll be a nice um, uh, change from what I'm doing here. And again, it will gain me this, uh, a, a new proficiency with, with hand tools and the way I strategize with the, the way I think about de uh, developing and designing projects. So. Yeah. Well, I mean, a, a basement shop is kind of nice because you're always just kind of steps away from it. There's no, you know, going outside for it necessarily. You're usually has a little better temperature control than a external building. And Yeah, that's one of those things with given all the, I guess, extra weekend time to think about when I've uh, been strategizing my home projects is I, I'm starting. I've started to kind of kick myself for buying a home without a, without a pre-existing garage or a, <laughs> a, a basement that may accommodate a full shop. But you know that's okay. Like I said, it it, it gives, provides you the opportunity to be get clever with your, with your situation. So, yeah, all in due time. Yep. Well, you know, Chris, Chris does that. Um, I believe he has a bandsaw and a bench, basically. Yeah. Right. And maybe a drill press in his shop at home. Um, in his basement, uh, and I, I'm, a, I might be wrong, but I think his is an older house as well, like a yeah. turn of the century house. So it's an old, old farmhouse, yeah. Yep. So it's kind of cool. Yeah, I, I think after you know almost 20 years of Chris uh, being subjected to loud noises and any other sort of uh, self-inflicted abuse, that I think it was time for him to have a, a quiet place <laughs> away from it all. I, I, yeah. I, I may have mentioned this before, but I'll never forget the day that he showed up to work and backed up his pickup truck to our dumpster and uh, just unloaded his table saw. And I think there was a handful of other power tools that he just uh, had been exhausted of and just <laughs> dumped 
dumped in the trash like a bad habit. So yeah, that's funny. It was a well, sometimes nice... you have to just cut, quit cold turkey. It's the only way yeah. to do it. Just, just rip off the bandaid. Yeah, that's fairly really necessary cleansing. <laughs> well, I think there's a lot to be said, Dylan, for you know deliberately making some different choices. You know, because we do have, you know, and you know, before you came to Woodsmith, you had a basically a business production shop. Right. You know, and to think that all home woodworkers have to have that in micro scale in their home shop or full size, you know, I think is a disservice to woodworkers too. You know, that there are so many different ways to build projects or to work with wood beyond the, beyond what's often shown. Yeah, it's it's certainly even from somebody. Well, all of us that have been doing woodworking for quite some time now, it's it's very easy to be disillusioned. I think by what it takes to have a successful shop, and again, whether that's for from a current commercial standpoint or even a, a home use standpoint, you know, I that's the other part of it is you know us having these different backgrounds, but also different shop layouts. It, it gives us something to talk about and you know let people know that woodworking is more accessible than you may have thought. So, um, oh, again, yeah. you know, everybody that grew up with or used to watch, you know, Yankee Workshop with Norm Abram, you know, you don't you don't have to have that to, you know, perform or have similar results. There's 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 a lot out there that you can do to um, uh, accommodate those sorts of uh, procedures. So and that's you know why we're here is to kind of, again, help people realize that woodworking is a little bit more accessible than what you may have perceived in the first place. So, yeah. Logan? You know, I presented this because I'm sitting in my shop looking around and I've de- I've decided there are certain things that just are going to leave my shop. Um, one of which, <laughs> well, legs have no place in a shop. Anything that dust can get under is a terrible thing, right? Right. So like I'm looking, I'm gonna spin my computer a little bit without knocking everything off. Maybe I don't know if I can get that far, um, but that over there is uh, a one wall workshop that we built uh, back in. I don't know if that was a woodsmith, if that was a shop notes one. Um, it is a shop notes one. Uh, it's beautiful. Like it would be a beautiful like craft center or something to set up in in your uh, you know back room or spare bedroom or whatever. Uh, and that one works pretty well because it's up off the ground, so I could sweep under it. Okay. Yeah. Um, however, uh, one of the things I have on there is my Wilton vice. You can just barely see it right there. Okay. Okay. So, uh, those cabinets are are attached to the wall, and as I'm sawing, this cabinet behind me. And that cabinet are just rattling uh, because the entire wall is shaking. I mean, that's a, that's a heavy vice. It's like 70 pounds, right? Yeah. Um, but it's shaking. So I can't scooch it away from the wall because it's attached to the wall. If I could scooch it away from the wall, it would have legs, which my bench has feet, and you can dust it gets underneath it. Um, I also have another tool cabinet in here that I have started. I started building. It's that um, the one we had in the uh, video studio with that carbon molding, right? Right. Uh, I started at a walnut. I got the base pretty much done, 
and now it's just sitting in here and it just is a catch-all for stuff but dust gets under it and i've decided i don't want that thing in my shop because <laughs> it's just shavings and crap get caught under it so right. what i would change about my shop nothing would have feet like that casters are okay because you can roll it out of the way and sweep sweep right, yeah. or vacuum um legs or feet something that lifts it up lifts up wherever it is off the ground and stuff can get underneath it that sucks to keep clean now it might not be that big a deal if my shop wasn't attached to my basement you know yeah um if it was like a separate building um which uh this this last if there's any you know blessings in disguise it's in the last four weeks, my wife has said, hey, us building you a shop outside of our house has went to the top of the priority list. <laughs> <laughs> so there's always a... Sounds like a green light. Exactly. Um, well, we have other projects we need to do this year. Uh, but she said that went, went up on, on the list. So there's a silver lining in this whole quarantine work from home thing. Uh, but the things I would change in this shop and the things I will probably change here uh, fairly soon... Um, I've decided these two wall cabinets behind me. So I have a saw till up here. I have right. um, a, a smaller cabinet under here uh, that has all my molding planes and other hand planes and stuff on it. You guys can kind of see that if you're, if you're watching yeah. the video, um, they're nice for storing stuff. Um, I also have a TV uh, next to me. There's a TV on the wall and behind that TV is my, um, my sub panel for the shop. Uh, so I have a 65 or 70 amp sub panel for the shop. Um, I think I'm going to pull that off the wall because I've avoided putting anything around it, but I don't really turn my TV on in the shop. If I ever turn anything on, it's like my phone and I just listen to a book, you know, and I, I recently picked up a set of um, Bluetooth uh, headphones. Um, they're like three M ones. Um, uh, so I just put those on um, and listen to a book on tape. So I don't really use the TV and I could really use that wall space. So that's easy to change. Um, and all the stuff that I'm saying that I would like to change about my shop is all stuff I can change pretty easily and stuff I'm going to change here probably in the next couple of weeks. Um, I, I wish that I would have a better um, metalworking area in my shop. You know, last week I showed uh, that little brass plane I've been building. Yeah. And Phil, you mentioned how um, building tools can get addictive and it really can. And I find myself thinking, God, this, is, this is, might be something I do quite often um because they're super fun um so i i kind of wish i had a little bit better metal working area now my garage um i have a bench in my garage as well um and that that would work uh but i'm a baby and i don't like the heat and i don't like the cold i like to be very very comfortable i like to wear my shop crocs um <laughs> So I would really like a better metalworking area in my shop, but I don't know how to do that without building a separate bench. Yeah. Um, so my that workbench I, or that uh, tool cabinet I started needs to leave. Um, I'm going to probably try to find a way to reinforce this uh, one-wall workshop that my vice is on right now uh, just because I want something that is doesn't move as I'm sawing or peening, you know? Um, yeah peening over the brass or whatever. Uh, I want something that's not going to move. Um, and those are the two big things. I also have, um, so in in my mind, when I started putting this shop together, my, my philosophy was I don't need to store any materials in the shop, okay? My, I can 
rough cut it out in the garage and then carry it around to my sliding glass door and carry it in or um, carry it down the stairs. Uh, I actually have some uh, rough cut lumber that's finishing drying in my back room, which is uh, down the hall from my shop. Um, so, you know, I've, I have a rack in there that has some walnut that's air dried and I just am letting it acclimate now. Uh, but I think it was a disillusion because I have a bookcase in my shop that's full of magazines. Um, it's full of some, you know, fine woodworkings that we were getting rid of when we kind of cleaned out our work library. It's uh, full of a lot of books that I've purchased. I've bought a lot of the Lost Art Press books. Um, I have some uh, canoe building books, uh, some uh, forestry books and stuff. Uh, there's no reason for that to be in my shop. Yeah. I mean, I might grab one to reference once in a while, but that would be a whole lot uh, more convenient to have to walk to get that than to walk to get material. So uh, where my bookcase is sitting right now, I think I'm going to actually build in some material storage, uh, which oh, is okay. something I think I wanted to. I didn't think I wanted it, but now I do. Now I'm like, you know what? That's that's something I do need in my shop because I'm sitting uh, here looking around. And I just have a lot of um, like random turning blanks. I was working on some chisel handles and I'll show you guys those in a little bit. But I have just this random little stockpile of turning stuff. It's like I wish I had somewhere to put all that that's close. Um, so I think I'm going to move my lumber rack back in here uh, or move it in here. It's never been in here. Um, and get some material storage. So it's all easy stuff to change, but uh, it just goes to show that as you're building and you start working more and more in your shop, I think you kind of learn what you actually want in your shop and what you actually need. And I think it, I think for everybody's shop, it kind of evolves as you go. Like you might start, you know, Dylan, you might think, oh, I'm going to do a lot of uh, hand tool stuff and like carving stuff like that. That might change down the road, though, uh, and it's easy enough to to add and change and move. So and move just like Phil is right now. Right. Well, I just <laughs> thought of something that I wanted to show off a little later in the show, but yeah. So it's uh, you know it's it's just one of those things that's like they're looking around and sitting in here every day for the last couple of weeks, uh, just working on you know magazine stuff. That's like, hey, that would be really nice, and I wish I would have had the foresight to do it. But there's no crying over spilt milk because I can always go back and change a lot of this stuff. Yeah. So it's not like I, it's not like I, I mean, yeah, yeah, I want my shop to be bigger than 16 by 24. But compared to a lot of people's shops, that's a big shop. You know, right. I, I don't really need much more area than this. Um, if I do need more area than this, it would be for more of like, uh, commercial lumber storage so like sawing and milling and soaring lumber for sale stockpiling yeah. gasoline yeah exactly <laughs> yeah taking all my money out of the stock market and putting it all into gasoline stores on my property i'm sure my insurance agency would love it yeah <laughs> well you mentioned having lumber storage in your shop and it's uh my first basement shop i didn't really want a lot of storage space because I wanted to maximize shop space. Yeah. But when you do that, and especially if you're like me, where you end up with like two or three projects in the works at the same time, it's like, where do those materials go? And then they just turn into little mounds of stuff leaned against a wall. And it's actually less organized and takes up more space than if you would have something dedicated to it. Right. 
Yeah, well, that's what I'm finding. It's like on my on this one wall workshop where where I'm usually sitting at my computer, um, there's like there's a pile of turning blanks on it, and then I have more lumber stacked in the corner where next to my bookshelf, and then it's like I got lumber on you know on my bench right now. It's like it's all over the place. It's taken over. So. <laughs> You know, and I, th- I thought that I would be, oh, I, you know, it'd be, it's not going to be that inefficient to walk to my garage to get something. It's terribly inconvenient. It's like, I right. really wish I had a piece of plywood this size. I have to walk up to the garage, find one, bring it down here. It's like, it'd be right. much better if it was over here in the corner. Well, and then you wonder about acclimation things too, you know. For sure. Yeah. Yep. So now see, in my, gar- my shop is in my garage and whoever built my garage was somewhat inspired because they made the it's a normal two car wide but they made it an extra eight feet deep so i have the whole back my shop is narrow narrow and or shallow and deep or whatever you want to call it you know it's like eight feet by 24 26 or something like that so it's actually pretty nice and i like having everything out there but you know you do end up having to make it's just problem solving, you know, like yeah, Dylan sure. was saying earlier about being creative with how you do things. You know, like for example, I have a little, uh, my, there's my metal working station is just a vice stand yep. project that we had done in shop notes. And, uh, it works really well because it's off to the side and I can kind of keep everything, you know, I got a, a vice on it and my, hand crank grinder whenever I need to do some sharpening. Otherwise it can tuck out of the way and it provides a, a decent sized work surface that I can keep the metal junk kind of away from yeah. uh, the rest of my woodworking bench. So I'm not, you know, getting metal filings and stuff on there. Plus it's also a nice place, you know, being out in the garage where I can, you know, do something with the kids bikes or sharpen mower blades or, shovels or something like that just mm-hmm. to have it pretty handy so mm-hmm. i think for me the big thing that i would change about my shop is more uh is going back and changing my mindset that uh of what a shop needs to have in it in order for it to be legit mm-hmm. so in terms of equipment you know that i always thought that i had to have these four or five things and as a result, all of my shop spaces have ended up being crammed to the gills with things and it was tough to move around. You know, whereas recently I sold my table saw and now my shop is so much bigger and I find it so much more freeing to work in having that extra space that it just doesn't feel crowded. You know, it's more enjoyable to spend time in here. Uh, so that's a that's a big thing. I think we... I don't know. We do that intentionally and unintentionally in woodworking magazines where we're trying to assume that readers have X set of tools. But on the other hand, it ends up being somewhat proscriptive in the sense that you get the you can get the idea that in order to do woodworking, you need X set of tools. And that's not really the case. So I think I would have, you know, just remind my past self and my past shops that I didn't really need a bunch of stuff (laughs) and it's almost better to to do without and to learn other skills than it is to try and feel like you have everything you know because I did the 
you know, I wanted to have a dovetail jig. You know, like if you have a dovetail jig, just think how awesome you could do. Every drawer would have <laughs> dovetails and blah, blah, blah. And so I went crazy trying to come up with a dovetail jig. And then when I had one, I almost never used it. And then yeah, because yeah. of that, when you go to use it, you know, you got to like reteach yourself how to use it. And then it takes yeah. longer. And so... And then I think, you know, early on, like right after I graduated from college, I didn't do a bunch of woodworking because I thought I live in an apartment. What can I have for a workshop? So I kind of had talked my way out of it, you know, resigned myself to the fact that I could just do woodworking through magazines or something like that, rather than just thinking, hey, how about you take the space that you have and see what you can do with it? Well, that's kind of the catch catch 22 of woodworking too. I mean, you can't, it's, you don't have that foresight going into woodworking as a new woodworker right? because you don't have that, you don't have that perspective. You don't have that level of knowledge knowing that, you know, X amount of tools can perform X amount of duties, but you know, as yeah. woodworking continues to redefine itself and, you know, newer technologies are um, developed, I mean, Who's to say what you really need? I mean, there's so many guys now that have, you know, a CNC machine that pretty much does most of the things they want it to do, you know? Right. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, like when we when we featured the CNC machine in the magazine, you know, that was a big discussion point. Even among the staff where it's like, who would spend X amount of money on a CNC? Mm -hmm. And yet I've been around some woodworkers when like at our live event last fall and couple of seminars where they're like you know they have a cnc machine and they can't understand why anybody would spend more than six hundred dollars on a table saw you know like why would you yeah. do that you know right it's all perspective yeah it is and it's just all what you're interested in i mean again different tools they can perform more than just one task so yeah it's again i think that's definitely always a challenge for us because we're trying to write and develop content as someone who would want to read this stuff too. So you're constantly putting yourself in the the shoes of the person that's going to be absorbing the content. And you can't really, you have to assume everything, but nothing at the same time in terms of what people have or don't, don't have. So it's, yeah. you know, you're going to either read the article or you're not, you're going to build the project or you're not, you know, I yeah. don't know. It's kind of an, an impossible thing, but we, we love doing it. <laughs> well, and it's, it's funny because there's a thousand different ways to do stuff. And there's never really a, that's, that's what drives me nuts about some people in this profession is that their way is the right way. It's like, no, I mean, there's, I, I find myself more, um, I gravitate more towards the people in the woodworking industry, uh, you know, instructors and stuff like that, that are like, you know, hey, this is the way I do it, but there's a thousand ways to do it. I mean, yeah, it's, it's, you know, Phil, you said you, you sold your table saw. So people are like, Oh, how the heck do you rip boards? You have a bandsaw. Yeah. You know, it's like he, you rip your boards on the bandsaw. It's like, well, how do you cut dados? It's like, put a, a bit in a router and you do it. I mean, mm -hmm. yeah, there's, there's a thousand different ways to do stuff. And I think it's a, it's interesting because it's, I think, a cycle that most of us as woodworkers go through. Um, I know on myself I did. I, I ended up with a million tools. And it's like, there's so much stuff in here that it's almost sensory overload. So then you yeah. start purging stuff. And then it's like, you pare it down to, 
you know, your minimalist set that you need and you might find you prefer one way over another way. You know, it's like, yeah. I love cutting dados with the table saw. I know Phil, you love doing them with the router. Yeah. It's different strokes for different folks. Yeah. So I think that, I mean, that's the, and maybe it's just because having been at Woodsmith for this amount of time is just realizing how, um, how what we say carries implications for it, whether right. they're explicit or implicit, right. you know, and I just, I want to, you know, when you're showing a technique for building a project, I mean, you have to land somewhere. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Because you can't just say, you know, now you need to make dados and then give a list of 12 different ways that you can make dados because that doesn't, it's an impossibly long article yeah. for one. And for two, it's not a help to anybody, Right. you know, but how do you, how do you talk about that in such a way where it's like, ah, oh, crap, now I need a $3,000 cabinet saw and a $400 data set, you know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and plus i gotta quit my job to actually be able to accomplish these things yeah right right so it's finding where that balance point is and just um being able to reassure myself and other people that uh, hey just do what you can do yeah. and then figure it out you know that you know there is a lot to be said for experience like you said before dylan about you know it's easy to be able to have my experienced self go back and tell my inexperienced self that he was an idiot. But, right. you know, it's yeah. like you almost can't know it. It's like having right. kids, you know, it's like you just... You can read as many books on it as you want, but... Right. And people can give you all sorts of advice, but it doesn't mean anything until you actually have kids, you know? Yeah. Yep. Everything in life is circumstantial. Yeah. For sure. So, Phil, what would... I mean... What would you change in your shop? If you could go back when you bought your, bought your house, right. what would you change about how you set your shop? Experience, your, Phil. Your shop experience, Phil. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> hmm. I think I probably would have tried to talk myself out of keeping the table saw. For as long as you did? A lot sooner. Yeah. Because I, I know when I started Woodsmith three years ago, you hadn't talked about selling it. Right. And, and I batted this idea around for the longest time, probably much to the annoyance of you and other people. Yeah. But, but yeah, I just, for as much space as it took up, and it wasn't that big of a saw. It was a, yeah. it was a craftsman contractor style saw that I had my router table built into one of the wings. Mm -hmm. um, you know, so what's the table on that? Like 27 inches by, you know, 40 or yeah. Yeah. 60 inches or something like that altogether. Um, but it's got the motor hanging out the back and then, you know, it had to be placed in such a way so that I could get behind it and long enough boards to move through it and, mm. and that kind of thing. And that end of my shop just always felt super cluttered. Like I had to like, you know, weave your way to get back there and it was tough to get to my lumber rack. And, um, and while it was a nice saw, it wasn't, it wasn't the best that, the rip fence had some issues with staying in alignment. So it was like, you're constantly working with that. And yeah. so, but then, you know, I've recently been, even before wanting to get rid of my table saw, I was wanting to have a bandsaw and being able to do a lot with a bandsaw. Cause we have some nice ones at, in the Woodsmith office. Yeah. And um, with some experience, it's kind of shocking how accurately you can work with a bandsaw. Oh yeah. And, you know, they don't take up as much, they don't 
take up as much space as a table saw. And, you know, the cutting action is so much more efficient that, you know, I can resaw five inch boards on my little 12 inch bandsaw that has a, what, a third horsepower motor on yeah, it, you know? Sure. So anyway, again, not to try and make it seem like everybody has to ditch their table saw and <laughs> get a bandsaw. I'm not trying to say that, but I'm, what I'm trying to say, I guess, is um, think about what you want in a shop. And for me, I've really realized how much having a an open, inviting space is in terms of my creativity, yeah. uh, my enjoyment of being in the shop. Because I don't, my home workshop is not my workplace. So it's mm -hmm. more about enjoyment of the process of what I'm doing and the things that I'm making. So. Cool. But I will agree with you on the on the workbench leg situation, Logan, because I built my bench and I've been happy with 90% of it. The sucker part is, again, because I'm it's in my garage and it's not conditioned space and I'm not here in here every day. So the underside of the bench is just plane shavings yep. and router shavings and spider webs and... Yeah, it's you know, just, like, and invariably when you drop some piece of equipment, it rolls it under there and you feel like Indiana Jones reaching into the snake pit every time, you know, it's just not. Yeah. You need to figure, figure out a way to uh, magnetize all that stuff with reverse polarity. So everything levitates in your shop. <laughs> <laughs> I would invest like, in that. Yeah, yeah, it's like, I mean, and, and there's some things you can't get away from that on, right? Like, right. If you have casters, inevitably you have some space under there for the casters to roll. Right. But it's like, yeah, my workbench, same thing. It has five inches underneath. It, it's just, and I sized it just right to where a broom doesn't fit under there. Yeah. <laughs> it's that's like, just, that's uh, just bad design. I know. It was a terrible <laughs> right. decision. Which I've talked about rebuilding this bench for a while. I'm sitting at the bench right now. Uh, I've talked about rebuilding it for a while. Um, and I think I'm going to do like the bench crafted uh, shaker style bench. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah. It's it's made out of a couple sheets of plywood and then a, a laminated top. Um, it's a cabinet base. It's like there's nowhere for shavings to go. And then the only thing I'd be stuck with in my shop that could get shavings underneath it, um, besides my two carts in here, is I have an outfeed table. It's the uh, it's the Craig base on it. Oh yeah. So it there's space underneath it. Um, there's maybe ten inches underneath the shelf. It's it's enough that if stuff gets under there, you see it. So it gets yeah. cleaned out immediately. So not that big a deal. But so should we talk about what we've been working on? Sure. Uh, I have been messing around with. Um, last week I showed the the pear wood that I'm using for this uh, miter plane. Uh, I've also turned some pear handles for some chisels. Um, nice. Yeah, these are the, the sister ones. They're the ones you turned, Phil, for our video edition subscribers. Uh, here's my massive zombie killing weapon, uh, my big old slick. I turned a, a socket-style handle for. Yeah. Um, you know, it's same same type of shape. Uh, this is for a, a tang chisel I have. Um, and then I also have a another. I'm trying not to drop the slick on my knee because you guys will see real life me going to the emergency room. Uh, then I have another tank style one or a socket style one. This is for just a, a carving gouge or a, a gouge. Um, yeah. 
you know, so just slight slight variances in the the little uh, like finial type thing here, um, right. to where it's going to terminate into the handle. This one will get a ferrule on it and then get um, burned in. Um, but man, I don't know that I can express how much I love these weird woods. You know, <laughs> like I I think, and I I. I get that we're a little privileged being in the industry that we work with uh, walnut and cherry and oak and we work with all the the standard traditional woods that a lot of people are like, oh, you know, I, I love working with this wood, but I don't get to very often because it's expensive in my area or I just don't have that type of project come up very often. Um, we get to work with the stuff every day. Um, yeah. So I, I, I get that I might be a little blind. To, I mean, I, I, I recognize that fact. But I love these non-traditional woods. Like, I mean, this is, you can't go out and buy pear wood. I mean, you can buy Swiss pear, but this right. is, I don't know what type of pear this is. This is a tree I took down at my grandpa's place probably 10 years ago. Um, it's phenomenal. It's hard. It turns beautifully. And I mean, it has this weird, like, uh, streaking in it. Um, some of it doesn't. This one on this socket one is just, it's pure creamy pale um, and it just, it works so nicely. I mean, it works like Apple does. Um, oh, yeah. And it's just, I, you know, I have a, I don't know if I mentioned or not, I have a sawmill showing up um, next week uh, that I purchased. And that's just, that's something I love is these weird woods that you would never think of. Um, some of, a lot of them, yeah, they're smaller trees. So the pear trees only get about 10 inches. So you're not going to get much board stock out of it, but you get enough like, turning stock uh same way with the apple trees you know i went out to an orchard a couple days ago to look at the trees that they've pulled out of the ground because i would like to mill some of them um you know some of that stuff is just like it, it's such a cool commodity uh and i love the the uniqueness of it so right so yeah i've been working on these handles uh turned i have three of them turned um i have uh, that's my dog's tail if you guys are seeing that pop up um she's trying to get me to pet her uh I've turned three of them. I think I have five more chisels that need handles and I'm just going to keep going with this. I have a couple feet of this stock. Um, there's a section that I have left here. Uh, so yeah, it'll be fun. I'm going to whip out a couple more this week. I've been finishing this stuff with the, uh, skeleton saws peacock oil. Sure. Um, which the first couple times we used it. Uh, so, our, our former editor Vince had turned a chisel handle. I don't know what we, what it is with us and chisel handles with the peacock oil, but uh, Vince had turned a a chisel handle with uh, out of I think I think his might have been beach as well, Phil. Um, and he he tried the the peacock oil on it and wasn't very um, excited about it. And yours, the beach, didn't get much color from the peacock oil. But I think. I think we have to be more patient with the application because these ones turn out phenomenal. It's a very, yeah. very subtle, low sheen finish, um, but man, it is silky smooth. And it's, uh, like I said, it's from Skeleton Saws is the people that manufacture it um, from the UK. Uh, they make some very, very, very high-end saws. Uh, and this is what they put on their handles. And it's just, it's a silky finish. We can't wait to for the quarantine to be over so you guys can feel how smooth and silky my chisel handles are because they are... <laughs> Yeah. They are awesome. I wonder if it's a difference in the material too, because like you said, I did these. Yeah, I think I it did could. mine out yeah. of beach. Yep. And 
uh, two things. One, I think beach is a little bit more porous on the surface sure. than sure. pear is. Definitely. And I know that you also sanded yours up much finer than I did. Yeah. I think yep. I did. I went up to 220 on these, which worked really well, but. Yep. And I went up to 600. Um, yeah. I went up to 600, then raised the gray and knocked it down. And then uh, I did four coats of the peacock oil within an hour. Uh, actually, five. I did five coats within the hour. And then every day for three days, I used my fingertips and rubbed in another coat. Uh, this is per the instructions. Uh, and it just is a silky smooth um finish and it's awesome and I, i've been finishing it with the alfie shine I'll, I'll let them dry for 48 hours after the final coat and then throw some of that alfie shine wax on there and it just pff, love it I, I wouldn't do a furniture piece with it because it's a lot of freaking work when i could just yeah. spray a coat of lacquer on it uh but for something small like this that takes me 10 minutes to put a coat on it's beautiful i love it I'd be curious to see some uh, resin impregnated handles you do for whether they're chisels or yeah, um, your dick dick prenicky slick you've got going on over there. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I you know and I have some. Uh, I did a I did a, uh, a turning seminar. Um, was that last week? Two weeks ago? Anyways, I did I did a pen turning seminar for our Woodsmith seminars, and I uh, I pulled out. I actually have a piece of apple that was resin impregnated. Um, mm. and should, I should turn something out of that. It's not very long. It's only, you know, maybe four inches long. Uh, but I should turn something out of that and try that peacock oil on it, uh, to see how that looks, because that would probably look fantastic. Yeah. So. So what do you got going on, Phil? Well, um, I'll put some pictures on my, of the completed nightstand. Uh, that one got wrapped up last week and, was pretty excited about it. I think the style of it is sort of got some gothic elements to it that I'm pretty excited about without being like super dark Batman-y gothic kind of Well, thing, I, I think that's kind of poetic because it's made out of basswood, right? So it's right. super light. <laughs> it's super light, yeah. Gothic light, maybe. That's probably, is that a new thing now? I think so, yes. Uh, so I'm pretty excited about that. Um and then I had mentioned this on last week's episode. I had a little pruning saw handle where the blade retracted in there, but it was just a little yeah. bit too small, and I wanted to be able to get to farther branches. So I, I made a – there's the blade, and then I made a handle that's you know, 18 <laughs> inches nice. long or something on it. So, so the agree. blade itself kind of looks a little, little undersized for the handle, but – what I like about it is that I can use it two-handed now to be able to get a decent grip on it or to be able to get branches that are just a little bit higher, but kind of in between where I'd want to get my pole saw out, you know, where it's, you know, you don't want to use a giant pole saw when it's like just above your head sort of thing. So I, after I got done with it, because I was looking at some like Japanese wood handled tools like mallets and hammers and pruning saws. So I was kind of channeling a little bit of that. And then when I got done and was wrapping up this one, I'm like, it totally looks like the elf sword handles from like the beginning of Lord of the Rings. Just 100%. <laughs> yeah. So Gilgalad's arborists used these saws. So Oh, I appreciate that so much because I'm listening to that book on tape right now. <laughs> <laughs> oh, the nerdy podcast from the guys yeah. at Woodsmith. 
Yeah. So, and then uh, in the spirit of all things uh, shop-built tools, I was also using, uh, last week I'd also talked about my desk organizer that I had finished then, um, but I got to use, and been trying to use more, this uh, rabbiting plane that I made. Oh, cool. I did it, a, it's out of cherry with a maple sole on it. And then, uh, I don't know how well you can see it on the end grain, but I did it Krenov style where it's yeah. laminated. So I have these narrow cheek pieces on here so that I didn't have to do all the excavation for the blade openings. I did it in the Krenov, Krenov style. So is the it's iron... just kind of fun. What's Sorry. That? Sorry, I interrupted you. Yeah. <laughs> what you... Uh, was the iron uh, something you had already from, an, from another rabbiting plane? Or yeah, it you... was the it was a one. It's like a replacement iron for those ECE. Oh, sure. Or Primus style, yeah. whatever. So, but I mean, any rabbiting plane blade would work. You know, you just kind of make the body to match, and uh, it's been real fun to use that again. And to work well. Oh yeah, it works really well. Awesome. And I don't know if it's a function of all rabbiting planes, but or the bed angle that I have this one at, but it's got this when you use it, you know, normally when you're using like a smoothing plane, you're taking, you know, relatively thin shavings mm -hmm. and it's kind of a whooshing sound. Whiskey. This has a like tearing the air kind of a Zip. sound to it, you know, because yeah. you can take much bigger shavings and I don't know if it's just the resonance of the wood and the blade or whatever, but um, yeah. It's kind of fun. I found that with uh, some of these molding planes, like uh, the the half rounds and stuff. When you're hitting the corners, you can. You can just take off pretty big chunks in one pass, right. and they just kind of go rip and curl right out the side, and it's like, oh, yeah. that's so fun. It makes me want to make a spill plane for no reason, <laughs> you know? <laughs> so, Dylan, how about you? You were talking about the lanterns last week. Yeah, so last any personal projects you got working on? I do. I One of my favorite things to do is to dig through old uh, period-style furniture books I have. And I have quite a few of them on Victorian and Shaker furniture. And I was flipping through a book. Um, I've since forgotten the, the author, but the title is, I think it's either Understanding Shaker Furniture or Build Your Own Shaker Furniture. I mean, something along the lines of, you know, providing you with a little bit of background, but also some dimensioning. And there's maybe five to 10 projects in there that you can accomplish. They're, you know, old, old renderings with, uh, with dimensioning on it. But there's a, there's a bench in there. And the, I've, the thing I like about Shaker Furniture is that I, I feel like it's in, in by design, it's very modern. I mean, there's no superfluous design features. It's yep. a direct representative of how those people live their lives. And um, it's just, it's just, it's still very relevant, I think, in, in the look, the look of them. But there's this bench in there and I started reading about it. And one of the first things it says is meant it's meant to not be comfortable. And I just thought that was hilarious. <laughs> and, you know, there, there's, there, there's not a lot to it. I mean, other than the fact the bench is designed to either be out on a porch or pulled up to um, a, a dining table. There wasn't really a specific use, which, again, is kind of the mantra of a lot of shaker furniture. But it, it's almost a 
sim it's very similar to that bench that you built recently phil i think out of pine where i think you just said oh. man, kind of a, either a redesign or you, you altered the construction yep. a little bit to, sim to simplify it and streamline it and so th this is very similar to this uh or to that and um it's just a little a lot larger on scale but the simplicity of the joinery uh with you know i don't think there's any more than maybe like six or eight screws on it and that's right. really just just to adhere the um uh, the base into the the top plank, which is the the seating part of it. But I don't know. I I, I just like the idea of kind of adopting these um, very quick projects. Maybe when sure. I have time, that um, uh, that can be accomplished in you know maybe a day in the shop or a half day in the shop, and you know yield the results that you want. But um, I was re really more inspired by the I guess a sense of humor, whether it was deliberate or not. <laughs> <laughs> in describing in describing the bench, but um, I would like to accomplish that probably this weekend. So I hope to have that as maybe a visual aid, and we'll see where it where it ends up on the social medias. But um, I've got that, and then I'm starting to work on a set of Japanese street vendor stools for popular woodworking. Oh. So there, I cool. found a series of them on an auction, a British auction site, um, and there's really not a lot of uh, backstory of these. There's certainly a lot of backstory about uh, street food culture in Japan, but not like this specific um, piece of furniture. So I'm kind of interested in uh, getting into that. The um, what do they call it? The uh, the provenance of the piece, essentially. Um, but I'm going to design a couple different versions of that. So, uh, I'm getting started and then, uh, moving into, uh, working on 251, Woodsmith 251. So I have a little bit more to talk about with those, maybe in a, the, the coming weeks, a little bit more development in the design process. So, but cool. that's cool. Yeah. All right. I got one last thing, kind of like a, I don't know, self-inflicted, uh, reader question here. So, um, I've been doing trying one of my new year's resolutions was to uh, add some new hand skills to my abilities. And one of those is uh, jointing edges. So since I don't have my table saw anymore, getting straight square edges with a bandsaw is, you know, like 70% bandsaw technique and a sharp blade and, you know, 20% with a, cleaning up the blade marks with a hand planing. So yep. I have this uh, um, number seven sized jointer plane. It's actually a wards master design. So it's actually made by the Stanley works, but for Montgomery wards. And so this is my question to the both of you. And then also to the listeners is when I use it to do joint the edges for a glue up, you know, like you can get a straightish edge, you know, like for the front and back edge of a tabletop or something like that, mm -hmm. where it really it only has to look straight and be relatively smooth, you know, so it doesn't, not that big of a deal. And I've used it for that a lot and it works mm -hmm. great. But everyone, now when I'm trying to do jointed edges for like a panel glue up, mm -hmm. um, I'll joint the edges a lot of times I'll put the two boards kind of face to face, you know, and joint those both edges at the same time so that when I fold them back up, they, you know, it should match. However, um, and I don't know where my technique is going wrong because I've tried to play around with different things. I get a nice tight joint for 85% of the length of the glue line. But then at the very end, always away from me, never on the near end, 
uh, I'll get just the tiniest little gap between the two pieces, like a hairline, but enough that even if I try and clamp it together, it's not going to clamp tight. Right. And I'm trying to figure out what the heck is causing that and what I need to do different. Because then what I'll do is I'll go back and I'm like, okay, well, that natural answer is I'll just make like a little bit of a hollow in the middle, do your old spring joint, mm -hmm. and that should clear things up, right? Nope. I get the spring joint plus that little yeah. gap at the end. So my initial thoughts, now I'm not a edge jointing master. <laughs> I can do it, but I go very slow and I uh, use a square the entire length. Sure. And but I, I think... I. Think what you're doing is putting too much pressure on the toe at the end. You think so? Yep. Because I have always started with, um, I don't want to grab that number seven. I've always started with, I don't know, my planes are all too far away. Screw it. Uh, I always start with a lot of pressure on the toe. Start right. off with, okay? So oh, I could almost take my hand off the toe and the, and the plane will stay there. And then as I start my pass, I'm even pressure. Right. And then when I get to the end, it's opposite. My hand is always on the tote and I can little to no pressure on the knob. Yeah. On the very end. Cause I, I guess I've never had that happen where I get, I, I've had, um, scoops happen where you're taking more off the middle than yeah. the two ends. Uh, and then in, a, in essence, that's a spring joint. Not that big a deal. It actually works out really nice. Um, but yeah, I think I would, say that it's probably too much pressure on the very end of the board. Yeah. Would be my guess. And it's probably only the last, what, six inches? Not even. It's probably like two inches. Interesting. Or, hmm. You know, so it's not that much. And I'm, you know, when I'm jointing, you know, I don't usually have my hand on the knob. Sure. Know, usually kind oh, of sure, giving sure, this sure. pinch yeah. grip, you know, yep. so that yep. I can so kind of feel, feel, the edge. Yep. feel the edge a little bit and yep. try and keep the plane a little more square to it you know squareness wise i'm actually kind of shocked on how yeah easy that was to pick up mm -hmm. as a skill you know like i'll i'll do it and then i'll still check it just to make sure but you know the more i do it i've found that i find a natural square yep you know that i'm pretty close that i don't have to spend a lot of time correcting squareness it's just that last little just that last little bit so. Yes, yeah, so it sounds like you're just giving 97% when you should be giving 100%. <laughs> right, right, yeah. yeah. I don't know. I've always said, I've always heard with with joining or doing longer pieces that you really want to, you know, not get a running start, but you really want to put basically your weight behind the plane to kind of create an even amount of not just forward motion, but also the amount of pressure you're applying to the piece. Yeah. Um, I can't speak from experience. This is only based off things I've read. Um, I haven't done a whole lot of really hand joining. My recommendation to you is just buy a power joiner like everybody else. <laughs> 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 but, oh, but that's, I, I mean, that's, that's gotta be frustrating. I mean, especially if it's only like the last two inches, I mean, right. And if you're using the entirety of the boards, one thing, if you're, you know, you're cross cutting your ends, like you would with, you know, something that went through a power yeah. plant or joiner, but, Oh. Yeah. yeah, and I think that's, you know, yeah, if I were extra long, but part of it is like, you know, I don't want to spend a bunch of time joining edges that I'm going to end up cutting away. Right. You know, right. so I was, but I, but then that I was, I was also thinking that it shouldn't be that hard to learn how to 
joint these two edges and get a solid glue line. You know, and like I said, the rest of it is like almost, you know, it's super tight. It's yeah. really awesome to yeah. see that and have that satisfaction there. But, you know, I end up going from like a six inch wide board down to like a five <laughs> and a quarter inch wide board because you keep trying to chase down this tiny little gap. Yeah, <laughs> which is it's funny because I feel like I get a much, much better, much more consistent glue line with my number seven than I do with a power jointer. Um, right. And, you know, just looking at a hand plane, right? So you're you're writing the whole surface. Yeah. Um, it has to be that, right? Yeah. At the end of the board. And that's why I'm thinking maybe your the the toes just, just diving a little bit, and it's not mu- it can't yeah. be much, um, right? But, but yeah, I don't know that that's interesting. So, so, if anybody's ever had that happen to them, I'd be interested in your feedback on that. So, mm-hmm. you can send us an email at woodsmith at woodsmith.com and that'll get to me, and we'll look at it that way. So, otherwise, I think we'll uh, we'll wrap this one up, huh? Yeah, yeah, I think so. All right. Thanks, Dylan, for joining us. And thanks you, thank you for listening to this episode of the Shop Notes podcast. I want to remind you that uh, we have an episode guide on our website, woodsmith.com slash podcasts, where each episode we kind of feature some photos, if you've only been listening to this, of the projects that we've been working on, as well as some links and uh, of some of the topics that we've talked about. Also, no matter where you're listening to the Shop Notes podcast, if you wouldn't mind leaving us a five-star rating. Higher ratings help us get the Shop Notes podcast out to a lot of other uh, woodworkers just like you. So if you'd like to share this with a, share this podcast with other people, that's a great way of doing it. Otherwise, we thank you for listening, and we'll see you next week on the Shop Notes podcast. This episode of the Shop Notes podcast is brought to you by Woodsmith Plans. You'll find nearly a thousand plans covering everything that you'd want to build. From furniture projects to gift projects, kitchen accessories, workshop projects and jigs, and more. Find your next project at woodsmithplans.com.